KYW Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody. This is Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. First, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Flashpoint podcast. Welcome to the Flashpoint family. Would you do me a favor? Would you log on to the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or whatever podcast platform that you use and subscribe to Flashpoint? All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW. Now let's get to it. This week, the focus is gender-neutral parenting. Ever heard of it? It's not true that there's just male and female. Some parents are scratching their heads after Mattel launches a new gender-neutral toy line. And the pronoun they becomes word of the year. I always thought I was androgynous growing up until I had the correct words to really say who I am. Seems yeah. to be more targeted against the male gender. We explore what it is and what it isn't. We dig in. Then she's a new sheriff of town smashing a glass ceiling. To make sure that that sheriff's office is accountable to every citizen. Philadelphia sheriff-elect lays out the plans for restoring faith in the office. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is gender-neutral parenting. This week, Webster's Dictionary announced that the pronoun they is the 2019 word of the year. Just weeks after toy maker Mattel launched a gender-neutral toy line right before the holidays. All of this is sparking backlash and lots of confusion. So what is gender-neutral parenting? And is raising babies, not babies, the new wave. With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Rory Cohen, a life coach, psychologist, and mother of a transgender son. We also have Michelle Gillen Dubrage, owner and buyer for Tildy's Toy Box. We have Joel Austin, president and CEO of Daddy University. We have Amid Bennett on the phone, who works for the Mazzoni Center and uses the pronouns they, them. And finally, we have Charles Hardy, a father of a seven-year-old. This is a power-packed panel. Welcome to Flashpoint, <laughs> everybody. Thanks for having us. Honored. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this is one of the first times we've ever had a conversation about this. So, Rory, I want to start with you, gender-neutral parenting. There seems to be a wide spectrum. Could you just try to explain to people what it is? It changes day to day. And what was true for me as a parent of children when I started in 1990 is different from, a, from our other guest who has a seven-year-old. So I guess I would say that it's allowing the child to take the lead on how they identify when it comes to gender. Mm-hmm. You know, do they that they may appear to be physically female or physically male to us as as adults, but how their brains will develop or which which part of the matrix they'll identify with may change as they get older. And that could range from being really hands off on, on this type of topic and just letting them go to what they're drawn to. You know, our son was born female. And when he was two years old, or she at the time was two years old, which is when kids tend to identify with gender, that's when a child can point to you and say, that's a woman or that's a man. He started to say, I'm a boy. And we said, no, you're not, because we didn't know any different. Yeah. But we know different now. And if a child starts to, to self-identify at that young age, then just follow their lead. Joel, I want to jump to you because you mm-hmm. work with hundreds of dads. Yes. And some moms as well. What has been the reaction that you've heard to this new type of discussion regarding 
this gender neutrality when raising kids. So gender neutrality is different than per- parenting and gender neutrality. So parents have a say-so in how those things go together. And like she said before, you have to figure out what ways do I handle it. So handling it, parents have an autonomy that they feel as though it should be handled the way it should be handled in their home. Sometimes the outside sources are pushing them to handle it the way they believe they should be, and we're having conflict on let me handle it the way I want to handle it. So some of the suggestions are role play and how does that affect. And sometimes it gets a little sketchy when it comes to role play inside the home. Who takes out the trash? Who does this? Who does these mandatory these roles? gender these, roles these within the home? Roles within the yeah. home. So it also is not cultural, but it's also gender. And sometimes it's conflicting because your son takes out the trash, but now gender neutrality is saying your daughter can take it out too. But then some people are uncomfortable with their daughter doing oil changes. And, do, and doing entire and changing the tire and oil. So where do we conform and where do we find a common place? Chuck, you have a daughter. How do you view this? Does your daughter have specific roles? How, how does it work in your household? We're raising our, our daughter pretty much as a daughter. So whatever that means, I'm preparing her and my wife is preparing her for, for life as a woman. Um, you know, and that's that's kind of the, the guidance that we've chosen. Now, there were to come a time that she would challenge that. Of course, I believe we could uh, we could listen um, and have discussion. But until that time comes, we have chosen to raise her as what we believe that that she is. We're raising her as a daughter. Michelle, you have a toy store that specifically, because one of the ways that you socialize children is through play. Tell us about your toy store and why you chose to develop it this way. Uh, My toy store, Tildy's Toy Box, focuses on gender-neutral toys. By that, I mean we choose items that have packaging that doesn't encourage stereotypical play. So we try to find dolls that aren't in a pink box, maybe in a white box instead, so that... They're open to both boys and girls for anyone to play with. Studies show that children will play with anything, but they're kind of being forced to play with certain items based on the packaging. If it's pink or if it's blue, a lot of times you'll find building toys that are in blue packages for only boys. But we know that girls need those skills, too, to learn spatial skills and things like that. Likewise, boys can also benefit from playing with a baby doll and learning how to nurture and care for another person. So we really choose packages and items that aren't specific to a boy or a girl so that all children can learn all kinds of skills and it's all open for everyone. And kids can choose and pick because some girls are drawn to one thing, boys are... And I want to bring in Amid here. When you think about this whole shift towards gender-neutral toys, then gender-neutral clothing, parenting, your thoughts on that? Yeah, so... um. A little bit of background for me is, like, I um, came out from outside of the country. I was born in Vancouver, Canada. So my gender, like, I guess, expectations were a little bit more relaxed than the typical American. So I just want to put that out there. But um, growing up, my parents always let me express myself. Um, they, oh, they tended to give me more gendered toys and stuff like that. But I would wear nails. I would, they would let me, like, express myself by coloring my hair, typical things guys didn't do. And I started, I realized that I don't live within a specific masculine presenting or masculine living way all the time. Yes, I'll, like, be able to change the tire and do oil on my cars, but, like, on the weekend, I'll be wearing heels, my nails are done, my hair is done. I also have a very feminine look to myself, too. So, like, I always thought I was androgynous growing up until I had the correct words to really say who I am. I didn't realize that there was a non-binary. I wasn't educated enough in topics. Yeah, and when you hear that, Rory, I mean, this is this is has evolved. What was it like when you were raising your son? I mean, a lot of these options weren't there. They weren't there, and I guess it was more, I was more in the world that Joel's describing. You know, I have a child that 
appears to be female that wants to dress in boys' clothes, that wants to act like a boy, and how do I handle it? And we got a lot of feedback from our parents, my, you know, my parents and family and friends, that we should push Ty to be more female. Um, and he had a lot of, you know, a lot of problems. I mean, it was very, very, very scary for us as parents. When he finally, we finally got a diagnosis of transgender when he was 12, then we started to research it, like Amid, Amid says, you know, learning. Um, and we had to really educate ourselves. It was hard, hard, hard work, too. Yeah. Because that, I guess that's partly what I do as a coach is I look at what are our beliefs and our mindsets and how do those keep us from exploring our full potential, whatever those thoughts and mindsets are. So in this context, the thought that I'm a female and that means certain things is a, is a fixed thought that prohibits the person from really branching out and exploring other things that, that might be valuable for them. So as a, as a parent sort of learning how to handle those things, even before I knew what transgendered was, I knew enough to know that my child's beliefs were going to be what kept them in a box or allowed them a little more freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, but that, the idea of um, allowing kids to explore, I think, because people have this argument within their own mind to say, is it nature in that it's the child's natural inclination or are we uh, sort of nurturing our children into a position? Mm -hmm. Uh, Joel, I want you to comment on that because I feel like that's the nerve point where parents are and that I've heard that they're nervous that if they start exploring this area that they may be opening the door to their kids versus it being their kids leading them there. I think that's one of the biggest, biggest points. We just recently had Alicia Keys put her son on and it was a big deal about her son having nails on and she was really, really uh, advocating how it should be okay for this to happen. And and one of the issues specifically from our male gender that I deal with, I deal with Literally thousands of fathers have said that it's almost uh, um, against them. Um, specific, specifically, it's usually targeted against almost the male gender or how, what the male brings to the table. So the gender neutrality movement has never, ever supported a father's rights movement, which is fathers have the equal rights of mothers, even though they support gender neutrality. So it's kind of like the boys should be able to do softer things and be allowed softer things, but they don't actually have pink trucks for girls. So you have dolls that your gender, but you don't use trucks and army men that dressed in pink. So it's almost kind of like soften the male, but not soften um, my girl to do X, Y, and Z. We believe wholeheartedly in gender neutrality, especially in a home. When it comes to the home, especially in couples, and we push co-parenting, everyone in that house should be able to do what they're best at. So if he cooks better, then he cooks. If she pays bills better, then she pays bills. But outside of that, having the country tell you, that this is what's supposed to happen is is kind of wrong and kind of pushy. But gender neutrality is a great thing, especially when it comes to role. It helps parents be able to parent better, and you have these girls that can help out and these boys that can help out. But it doesn't seem to be an even thing. It seems yeah. to be more targeted against the male gender than the female gender. The gender, the male gender should be pushed to play with the doll. Yet the female gender is not pushed to play with boy toys. Chuck has a daughter. Mm-hmm. And and it does seem like there's more two. except you have two daughters. You have yeah. sons as well. Uh, uh, yes. yes. It seems like if if girls want to do whatever they want to do, mm-hmm. 
there's less backlash yes. against yeah. the girls because girls can play with trucks, girls can climb trees. But when a boy person assigned the gender mm-hmm. at birth that is a boy wants to do something that is perceived yes. as a feminine role, there's backlash. And and Chuck and Amit, I want you to kind of comment on that because there seems to be unfair backlash with the male assignment. I apologize. We push fathers into motherhood's quote unquote motherhood roles all the time, and there's a lot of backlash with that. Why are they changing diapers and not working? Why are they doing X Y and Z? Why are they reading stories and doing bottles and not doing X Y and Z? Like there's a still a lot of backlash from pushing these roles yet we also still have this movement on everyone should be able to do everything but it's not so much true still in our society yeah that's a good point and 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 uh chuck and Amid comments yeah yeah so um i did have one uh just i until maybe a few years ago uh, i really felt like it was easy for me to think okay all of this discussion of uh you know being sensitive um to to children's um, thoughts and their uh, and their gender choices. Um, it really felt like uh, you know just a lot of overthinking. It and I think that was partially because of what's been said um, that it's very easy for me to be a little bit more relaxed with um, with a daughter who it's socially quote unquote acceptable for her to explore things that girls don't traditionally do. And that was up until a few years ago when in my family um, I have a nephew um, and this nephew. Uh, I'm his uh, godfather, and um, and this nephew, you know, started to explore certain things like the um, the nails and uh, and the color uh, coloring of of his hair pink, and um, and that really just kind of threw the family um, for a loop, and it allowed me to kind of sit back and say like, wow, there's there's definitely um, a difference here, and then in in I have a special relationship with him where I'm able to really talk, and in talking to him. You know, it's really just an exploration. He hasn't even assigned anything uh, or any gender or he hasn't really even thought about it that deeply. He was just, you know, um, I want pink hair living living his life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Exactly. So. um, So, yeah, so it it really just felt like, you know, there was um, still a a little bit of of overthought, but allowing him to to explore and the reaction of it really can kind of push people, I feel, um, into making certain decisions. Yeah. And it's almost like you got to relax a little bit because mm-hmm. yeah. you have an artistic kid who loves art and color and all those things. That doesn't necessarily mean anything other than the fact that they like color. Right. And I mean, I want you to comment because you grew up uh, with these gender roles kind of put placed on you, but we're still given the leeway to, to explore. Yeah. So like, um, for example, like in high school, like it was funny because I would always joke about like, because I, I never came out. I was, always, they, I was always feminine. They always knew I was gay. However, I was on the wrestling team, which is very homoerotic, but also very, like, toxic masculinity at the same time. So I, like, had to teach the lines of, like, do I want to wear makeup to class today because I have a wrestling match, or do I want to put my butch pants on and go out because of how I'm appearing? Um, so, like, every day I had to think about what am I going to do, what's going on, um... And, like, living, my mom was always supportive. Like, so our culture, like, the guys cook. They, um, they're the ones who do the house cleaning. And, like, so it was, it's interesting having different cultures. So I think, I honestly believe that my privilege comes from the fact that my parents are both from different countries. So they have two mixes of their versions of gender roles. So when it came to gender rolling me, I don't know if they fought over certain things. They could have, for all I know. But because of that, diversity in their gender roles that trickled down to me. So I honestly didn't really have a specific gender role. 
Um, my, I have a sister. She's actually, I'm not sure if she's, I should know, oh my God. But um, <laughs> I don't know if she's bisexual or lesbian, but she is actually, it's funny, like, if you look at her, she's the more masculine appearing person. Yes, she can be feminine, she can get a pretty dress, but like on day to day, she's more masculine, whereas me, I'm more feminine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. And and I want you, Michelle, you see, you take it a look. We sent all you guys copies of the uh, the new Mattel doll. You've seen yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, could you describe what it is and what you think about it? Is this something you would put on the shelves of your store? We don't sell Barbies at our store, um, but we do sell similar dolls. Um, it is something that I would sell if I were to sell that line. Um, so th- what we're talking about here is the new Barbie doll where um, it comes with different short and long hair and different outfits. So you can kind of make it your own doll. And it doesn't have to be a certain like stereotypical feminine-looking doll or male-looking doll. Um, and the outfits are, you know, pretty standard. They're not typically like extremely pink or extremely blue. They yeah. kind of like are in the middle. And honestly, I think it kind of just represents how people look in general. And there's a range of different skin tones. So overall, I really um, like that this, you know, ha- is diverse. Um, it can show a variety of different genders. But really, I think what's great about the doll and what I think sometimes, um, you know, as someone said earlier, sometimes we overthink these things. Mm. Like kids just want to play. And that's really what it's all about in the end. They They don't have these stereotypes without us imposing them on them already. And we are growing up with those and we have those stereotypes. So really what we try to foster at Tildes is letting the kids choose what they want to play with because really that's what it's all about. They learn through playing and that's how they learn. So let's not restrict them to playing with a certain item that we think is just for boys or just for girls. We have to let them play with what they're interested in and learn those types of skills that they're working on right now. So what's great about this um, new doll from that Barbie has is that it's got a lot of different outfits. It's got a lot of different hair. So they can really just kind of change it up and learn about different things that go together. They can just play really with a doll and not have it be just, you know, a girl or a boy, but also introducing, you know, that non-binary is a great thing for them to be exposed to from a young age. Um, I know that my kids have friends that are boys that wear dresses and likewise girls that, you know, have short hair and play in the mud, like everyone does everything. And that's really what is great for kids to grow up with. Yeah. And we, and I have to go right ahead. I think it becomes really interesting because we're kind of, uh, I hate to say, asinine in our society when we have these movements um, and gender neutrality movement really is focused on the freedom of children, the understanding of children, what they're looking at and so forth. But the asinine part is that we have not had classes, we have not had information on for parents. And thinking that children drive is ridiculous because uh, the, the conversation is driven through parents and we have attacked Parents, because they haven't had a conversation with children, mm. n- but yet we have not had any conversation with the parents first. So Philadelphia is the fifth largest city in America, yet we have no fatherhood parenting classes when they have an infant in maternity wards. Like, it's ridiculous that we don't have information for parents available and ready, but yeah. yet we are pushing that your child should do this, and, and you're wrong if you don't do this, but we don't have any yeah. conversation that, 
with with the people in charge that have the autonomy on who does what in our household. And it's I want to pick up from there because uh, both Rory and Chuck, I mean, all of you, I mean, you too, Michelle, I mean, you have kids and you're saying and it's because it's more when we talk about this, it's more than just girls wear pink and play with dolls and boys yes. wear blue and play with trucks. It's, it's more than that. And we don't talk about it. Um, and And all you really know as a parent is how you grew up. And you're trying to do the best thing, and then this 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 this, ish, this situation is presented to you. Like you, Rory, you're like, oh my god, I don't have the skills. To, I, you know, what do you do? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I feel lucky that I I had the academic background that I had anyway. That I was open minded. Yeah. And I've learned a tremendous a lot, a lot. But learning how to call my daughter my son. And allow and and feel comfortable looking at her with with short hair and in boys' clothes because she my son is very uh, stereotypically masculine. You know, he Joshy Boy Better is his name, and he wears you know he likes he just like the backwards caps, and he just he he's not at all open minded. He's very. So I had to. I traditionally had to, masculine. Yeah, he's traditionally, Go figure. Whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. But I had to break open my mm. own thought patterns, and I was willing to do that just because in, at that time, thirty percent of those kids either killed or killed themselves because the society doesn't allow them to be. Yeah. So this is a huge conversation with lots of different things, and it, it you know, a two-year-old doesn't have stereotypes. A two-year-old's just developing identity. And by the time they get to be five or six, then they start to pick up the stereotypes from the culture, whether it's in the home or not. So there's there's not a whole lot we can do, I don't think, as parents. I mean, the, the system itself does yeah. a lot of our educating for us. And as parents, just be willing to to question our own beliefs and attitudes and stereotypes mm. and look at how what we're doing in the house is – you know, just a le- for me, it was a f- it was fun to sort of look at. Wow, this is not really true. It's not true that there's just male and female. Yeah. It's not true. Mm-hmm. And that, that 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 realization right there blows some people's minds. It blows mm-hmm. yeah. people's minds. And and yes. when the parents can't, I mean, if, like you said, Joel, we don't know. I mean, who knew? Who taught us? I didn't know. Yeah. But you know, there's so much to this topic. But there's it's not true. I mean, there are people who are both. There are people who are on a spectrum. There are people. And we just are in our – oh, one more thing I wanted to say in terms of psychology is that whenever we're in a fight or flight, like when we're afraid, that's when we tend to pick one or the other. We need it to be black and white the more we're afraid. So if you're raising kids in a scary world, you're more likely to want them to just pick something and stick to that rather than being open because it's scary Absolutely. to be open. Yeah. So, you know, just recognize if you're yeah. a parent and you're, you're, you're getting anxious and you're getting like I have to force them to pick – that you're probably just, you know, yeah. you're scared. Yeah, and there, but there are reasons um, yes. for fear. Uh, some people have more reason to be afraid than others um, because you know our country tends to 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 marginalize certain groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I want both um, Amid and I, and I'd love um, you know Chuck here to weigh in on this because Chuck, I know you you said specifically you're trying to prepare your daughter for whatever comes at her in this world. As a woman of yep. color, yeah. Yep. Right. So, you know, when it when it comes to that, I know that, you know, uh, and we all know that there are certain things that are that are waiting for her, certain ceilings, certain uh, discriminatory ways that are going to be 
targeting her as a woman and then even more so as a black woman. Um, and so that's where my, my focus is, not necessarily on what she's identifying as. I mean, up until this point, it hasn't come up. So I'm going kind of with the default category. Yeah. Okay, you're, you're a woman I'm, or a young woman. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise you as such. And then uh, my wife and I really try to prepare her for that. So, you know, again, if we get to the point where she starts to, to question, I know Rory said it was uh, a lot of her edu- uh, educational background prepared her, but um, I think she should really be celebrated that she did what we all should do, um, which is she kind of led with love, uh, which is what I would you know, do in that yeah. situation if I'm presented with something that might be uh, confusing to me or, yeah. or, you know, cause, you know, deep thought. But, but yeah, up until then, you know, I feel like it's my job to do the leading in the household and to do the, the parenting, the active parenting to kind of say, okay, yeah. well, this is where we are now. This is how we're going to prepare for the future. Right. Cause I just want to jump in too and say that race location plays a huge part, especially when considering safety. Like, for example, I didn't grow up in the city. So when I was playing in the yard, doing things like girly things, I didn't have to worry about somebody, let's say we're in Philly, in a townhome 10 feet away looking at me and yelling jeers out the window. And also talking about, I unfortunately hate the fact that within my own community that like a lot of black and brown people don't like people who are transsexual, who don't like people who are non-binary. It's a tough egg that we're trying to figure out how to crack to break into the communities to like educate them and tell them what's really going on. And yeah. then it goes to like representation too. Like If you think they, them, for example, it's always people of paler skin, white skin, who are being shown up, for example, Merriam-Webster, which I'm really proud of, not knocking that down, is um, you put they, them as the... Word of the year. Word of the year. And then they use Sam Smith. There, I don't think I've ever seen a person of color ever, like, I'm trying, really trying to think who has been, like, prominently known as they, them. I've seen gay people of color. I've seen Lizzo for body work. You know, not body work, but body positivity. But, like, when it comes to representation, it's, it, you can do as much as you want as a parent, but you're not with the kid 24-7. Your kid yeah. also needs to be able to see, like, when they go to school or when they go on the bus. Yeah. Or, like, with the doll. Like, the, the, you might not even have the kid to give the kid a doll. The doll might just see the kid at the lunchroom as somebody else and feel themselves in that kid. And that has happened to me multiple times. Yeah. Where somebody else is playing with a gender-neutral yeah. um, toy. And I was like, oh, I can do that too. We're about to wrap this up, and I want to give Michelle a quick point. Because basically, does having gender-neutral toys simply just provide another option? Yeah, definitely. You know, when kids are little, they don't really have a concept of, you know, what gender really means. And it's really... What we focus on is just kind of giving them all of the options and not trying to fit them into a box and just letting them explore what they want to and express their creativity and who they are without restricting them as adults. And we have all of our own preconceived notions and stereotypes that we grew up with in our cultures. But letting, you know, as parents, um, letting our children lead the way and letting them be open to new experiences and recognizing that sometimes we have to hold ourselves back and stop ourselves from saying, oh, no, don't play with that stroller. You're a boy. Um, Letting them explore and not just holding them back. Yeah. And so because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. But I just want to say, you know, this is a cutting edge conversation. And so the door is open. I mean, we have an opportunity to be more inclusive in how People raise their children, good or bad. So give me some predictions. How do you think this shift will impact this next generation? Well, uh, my final thing is that I do not believe that this is going to help by it being an Internet conversation. I do not believe this is a casual conversation at your job. This is a dinner table 
conversation. Yeah. If you are wants any type of movement, if you believe this movement is strong, and if you even believe in this equality of people, then you need to start contacting people and connecting with people. And parents are going to have these things at the official, official place where we learned all good things in life and all morals and values, which is our dinner room table. If you're not getting into the dinner room, the movement is not going to be strong at all. We just all need to, as adults, kind of let our children be open to more options and give our children options of different gendered toys, uh, non-gendered toys, too, and diversity, really, and expressing love for everyone. Yeah, Amid, and then uh, we want to get Chuck, and we'll let Rory have the final word. Go ahead. Yeah, especially um, I'm thankful for my mom for always doing this for me, but she always introduced me and exposed me to as much many things as possible. And she always told me, don't ever, like, let somebody or, like, not let somebody access something because you never know. They could be the next, like, um, Michael Phelps, but they would never know that because they've never been in the pool before because girls can't swim. You don't, you don't know if you're good at something if you've never been able to do it before. Chuck? In our household, somebody's going to be doing the leading. So right now that's my wife and I leading the raising of my daughter. And then leading, I think, can be done with allowing a voice or, or hearing a voice. So we're also listening, to, And then above all, once we've heard from and we've led, uh, I think you just have to do everything uh, within love. So being loving and open to whatever uh, the, the future holds um, and then reacting to it as such. Final word, Rory. As far as, as understanding about gender fluidity goes, that that is changing whether we want it or not. And that kids mm-hmm. that I've seen from all backgrounds and all cultures are using gender neutral pronouns that are allowing people to pick. So it's sort of, it, it just in the last, since my kid was 12, that's only 16 years. It's gone from, I never heard of it to, hi, my name's Rory. I identify as she, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it, it's changing. And we all have to be ready. So I want to say thank you to Rory Cohen, to Joel Austin, Michelle Gillen Dubraj, to Amid Bennett, and Chuck Hardy. Thank you so much for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, there's a new sheriff in town. We raising up the city to do something different. Philly's historic sheriff-elect talks plans for the office. We'll be right back. If you like what you hear, be sure to stick around, subscribe to the podcast, and check out some of our past episodes. We talk with newsmakers like Youssef Salam from the Central Park Five, Lonnie Bunch, Secretary of the Smithsonian, and so many others. We've debated issues like maternal mortality and the Byron Allen $20 billion lawsuit against Comcast. It's currently at the U.S. Supreme Court. If you don't know what it's all about, Check out the episode. Thanks all. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Our newsmaker of the week made history when she became the first woman elected sheriff of Philadelphia. Sheriff-elect Rochelle Bilal spent 27 years on the Philadelphia Police Force and is president of the Guardian Civic League. She'll take over the 400-employee sheriff's office from outgoing Sheriff Joel Williams, who was sued multiple times for sexual harassment. And in the aftermath, a former longtime sheriff, John Green's bribery conviction. Sheriff-elect Bilal, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having me. So congratulations. You made history. How does that feel? Oh, I'm starting to get excited now. Yeah. Feels good. Yeah. Feels good. A lot of work. A lot of uh, work. But you have a lot of work to do. Well, we had a long campaign. Mm-hmm. I realized that was like a year and a half, full steam ahead every day for about a year and a half. And so we know that we got some work to do up in the sheriff's office, but we're ready. Yeah, and for and for folks that don't know, because I don't think people really understand what the sheriff's office does. Could you explain? And basically, that's what I ran on, because most people did not know 
what the sheriff's office did. Mm-hmm. First of all, it deals with foreclosures of homes and tax lien sales of people's homes. It secure the courts, and it serves those warrants, protection from abuse order warrants, and warrants around the city. And so those are some of the things that it do. And so the protection of abuse orders are very important. Very important. Mm-hmm. More important because it's dealing with people's lives. Yeah. And so there has been a lot going on with the sheriff's office. And this is all predates you, obviously. Low morale. There have been lawsuits. A prior sheriff convicted of corruption, basically, sentenced to five years in prison. How will you navigate this ship out of all this this crazy? You bring in a team and you start analyzing the sheriff's office and you find out from those who are good workers at the sheriff's office what they see the future of the sheriff's office doing and how it could better enhance. They'll have opinions and we'll be taking surveys from them. You analyze every single part of the sheriff's office with my transition team so that they'll make recommendations on priorities and what needs to be changed right now and what is a future change in the sheriff's office. Yeah. And so you have a, a multi, you have 33 member transition team. That's correct. Um, and have y'all already been working? They're already working. They got their orders. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's already been information sent out to the sheriff's office so that those department heads can submit information that we're requesting from them. And then we'll be talking to each and every one of them. Because it's 400 people. We'll be talking to the department heads and some of those members of the sheriff's office that are reapplying for their key positions. Mm -hmm. We'll be talking to them, too. So you're not just going to go in and and fire everybody and start over. You're going to actually talk to folk. Because his role every time a new new sheriff is in town. Literally, a new sheriff is in town. But the way they put it out, the Wicked Witch of the West was coming in there, but that's not me. We're going to be talking to some. Some people may go, and there's a lot of people that will probably be staying. And so this has been a long road for you. 27 years uh, in law enforcement. Uh, You've been an activist. That's how I I actually met you uh, as president of the Guardian Civic League. Talk about your journey to getting to this space where you're making a national news as the first woman to take this post. 27 years in the Philadelphia Police Department. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I went in today, I realized that somebody had to be an activist in law enforcement. Yeah. And once I realized just how institutionalized the department is as far as racism and unfair treatment, especially to people that look like me. Um, I realized that early going into the police department. So I made a decision that I was just not going to take it and I wasn't going to let them do that to people that look like me in that department. So that's when I joined the Guardian Civic League. And as I fought with the members of the Guardian Civic League to become more active in this city because we had people we stood on their shoulders. Fonzo Dill was a first president of the Guardian Civic League, and he fought. He even fought the FOP. And so, therefore, I became a member and then rose to becoming the president. Been the president since 2007. Mm -hmm. I also became a member of the NAACP. And then I rose to become the secretary of the NAACP. So I've been there since 2004. So I have a history of making sure that things are being done equally. And I'm just not going to stand for it not being that way. As a woman, I mean, you I came to a press conference where you were standing on behalf of women in law enforcement who had allegations of sexual harassment. You stood beside them and you said, we're going to we're doing our investigation. We're looking at this. And not only we're looking at that, but not only for the women in law enforcement, Mm -hmm. but for the women who work in city agencies 
in this city because we're saying that no more. You're not going to just treat us any kind of way ever. So we started a women's group in the Guardian Civically called SIRs, Serious, Intense, and Resilient Women. They come together. They meet. They talk about the issues on how they can support each other, whether it be just moral support or whether it be legal support. And so they'll be coming together, raising their own funds and reaching out to other women in the city that go through those go through those issues. Yeah. And and speaking of women, I mean, this that was a big issue in the sheriff's office. You had uh, multiple uh, lawsuits filed uh, uh, alleging a sexual harassment by the outgoing sheriff. You had, you know, city government paying out all kinds of money, mm-hmm. um, women complaining. Uh, and then, of course, we see you decided to step forward throw your hat in the ring, and here you are now. What is the big change you you, you want to make um, for the women who work at the sheriff's office? First of all, to be zero tolerance on sexual harassment. Zero. That means if you think, if a woman say no, you better realize that's what it means, no. And so that we will not stand for at all. And also make sure that people feel comfortable in coming to work. If you want to go to work and just do your job and go home, you are afforded the right to do that and not be harassed by anybody. But you got to come to work and do your job. So women at the sheriff's office, I hope they feel empowered by me being the first woman sheriff ever in this city because that's a movement in itself. Yeah, that is a movement. I see that it's like hashtag girl magic, black girl magic <laughs> specifically, because we have a woman in the head of Philly prisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a woman uh, running the Office of Violence Prevention. We have a woman in charge of the sheriff's <laughs> office now. I mean, there's women are really stepping up. Yeah, let's hope we get a woman a commissioner. That'd be wild, right? Wild. That never but, has ever been ever in the history of this department. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I have to mention, I did um, we we did a show on suicide prevention and we talked about Dante Austin. Yes. Specifically, I had met Dante multiple times. He was uh, the LGBT liaison for the sheriff's office to help push through quite a few reforms. And then, of course, he he took his own life at the sheriff's office. How do you how how do you pull people out of that? That's a tragedy. Our supervisors in the sheriff's office going to be trained to be able to look at their subordinates so they can detect certain changes in them. See, when you don't care about people, you just come to work, you do your job, and you don't pay attention. Yeah. There, there are signs that lead up to that, and people need to notice those signs. So they're going to be trained in mental health. Mm-hmm. They're going to be trained in those who may be their attitude and their whole disposition will change so that they can at least tap into finding out what's going on with them. And get them help before they get to that crucial point to think that there's no hope. And the only way out is to take your life. We can't keep having that. And so there will be some um, changes in it and some training going on to ensure that everybody can be able to detect whether somebody's attitude has changed and get help for them before it gets to that point. Because the issue of uh, suicide and law enforcement and first responders, I mean, it's almost at an epidemic level. Where you see so many people taking their lives. Yeah, and police don't like jail. So the only way they think that they can deal with the issue is turn it on themselves. And supervisors got to know when you're coming at them, you got to know that you're coming at somebody who may be in fear of their total career. 
Mm-hmm. And so you just don't pick them because you think you can or you're a bully. We we are not having that in the sheriff's office. If a person doesn't do their job, there's a process. But what you're not going to do is just pick on them and push them to that point to think they have no other way out but to do harm to themselves. We're not having that either. And I got to talk about Act 79 because Philly is doing a bad job right now with regard to when you have a protection from abuse order. Folks under the law now are supposed to turn in their firearms and the sheriff's office job is to go collect them. That's correct. But of all the counties in our five county area, Philly is the worst. How, how do you, you plan on getting in there? And this is this is pre <laughs> pre me, pre, <laughs> you know, uh, Sheriff elect Bilal. But I mean, that's a serious problem when when we have we see so many women being killed um, and domestic violence homicides are up. We did a show on that. Yeah. I don't know how that happened in the sheriff's office because you had a warrant unit that did their job well. And then all of a sudden somebody changes it from them serving those PFAs and not informing them of it till a couple of people serving them and confiscating guns. And that's an issue. So however that happened, that won't happen under my leadership. The maximum amount of people that should be having that is basically the warrant unit, the ones that had expertise in doing that, the ones that have the temperament in going to people's houses and taking the guns without incident. So they should have it. I don't know how it got to four people confiscating guns. That's 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 a problem. So yeah. we would deal with that under our my transit team is actually looking at all of those security issues. Mm-hmm. And so their recommendations will come back to me. But we know that's something that's going to change immediately. Yeah. And just so folks know, I mean, the sheriff's office is charged with collecting guns of folks who have protection from abuse orders because they've been charged with some kind of domestic violence incidents. And so you get the guns to save lives, right? Save lives on yeah. both sides. On both sides, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The victim and those that are accused because you don't want them to get angry enough to just lose their common sense for a minute and use that gun on somebody. Yeah. So basically... They need to be taken to keep everybody safe. Yeah, and it prevents you know homicides and suicides yes. because we've seen the homicide suicide situation. So you're from North Philly. Yes. You know, grew up. Grew up in North Philly, Lawrence and Cumberland, six in York. Shout out yeah. to my folks down there. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm seeing in that area is a drastic change of gentrification. Yeah. I rode down there and I see blocks of houses gone. I look at places where me and my girlfriends hung out at in North Philly. Yeah. Gone. Mm. So, yeah, I'm a North Philly girl. Yeah. And I'll be visiting North Philly because they need to see me. Yeah. Especially my my um, elementary school down here is John Wells. Mm-hmm. It's my elementary school, Fort New York. I'll definitely be down there visiting them. Yeah. And I got to ask you, I mean, North Philly area notoriously over-policed uh, probably as you were growing up. And it's an area where a lot of people have hostility towards law enforcement and yet you decided, dun, 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 I'm going to join this squad of folk who people you likely grew up with did not like. What made you say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to put wear the badge. I was one of those children in North Philly that did not like police. Trust me, did not. Gave him Matter of fact, eye. look, when it came down the street, we used to be on the roof with our little zip guns popping at them cars because we did not because we saw the damage that mm. they were doing to us and to our brothers to our cousins when they came through there and it wasn't a good look and so we all did not like the police but what happened what would they say what happened was 
What happened? The Guardian, yeah. <laughs> the Guardian Civic League was coming through our neighbor because at that time they had a lawsuit which had a consent degree. Mm. And they said, how many of us took the test? That's how many of us needed to be in the class at the police academy. So they had a really stubborn guy that used to come through our neighborhood and take our abuse and talk to us about joining the force. My two girlfriends joined the force before I did. Mm. And then they kept telling me, you need to join. They said you could change it from the inside. You need to join. And at that time, I was working at the post office. My mother thought the post office was a good government job. <laughs> I thought it was a plantation, but she said it was a good government job. Well, then they came to us and said, look, you can either do this job. All you need is the age, let me see, 45 and 20 years, and you can retire. Post office said I had to be there till I was 65. Then I looked at my girlfriends, and I said, oh, no brainer. I got to go. And so I joined the force, and immediately coming on the force, I saw racism hit me right at the door. Yeah. And that made me become become more active in the Guardian Civic League and against unequal treatment. So. Yeah. So when you face with opposition, it's like you it's like it's an empowering force for you. Basically, uh, we got to step back, put my hands up and let's go, because what my grandmother and my mother installed in me is I'm not going to take whatever you dish out as a settlement uh, because you're not going to come at me wrong. You can come at me. We can talk about issues. We can resolve it. But when you attack me wrongly. Get ready to fight. I like that. All right. <laughs> All right. Sheriff is up in here. So um, so how do you plan on you're going to be um, you're going to be sworn in just a few weeks. It's going to become official. What is on your agenda for the first 100 days? Well, we're looking we have our transition team really going out, talking to the department heads, looking at all the issues that the sheriff office has had in the past mm-hmm. and how we can better um, change those things to do better in the future. So we're, right now we're analyzed. We're going to do an operational view. We're going to do a financial view. We're going to look at the sheriff sales and the tax lien sales on how we can get information out to people on how they can save their homes and keep communities at whole. We're going to be working diligently, and in 90 days you're going to hear about what we plan to do and change in the sheriff office. Yeah, because I've read that you have even challenged people. Take a look at what I'm going to do. Like you've opened, you've said, look, y'all can look at what I'm going to do and you can you can check it out in 90 days. You've, you've given people the, the, the charging. They said, we're, going to, we're probably going to announce these are the official changes in the sheriff's office. Once we get all our information, all our data, gather that up, sit down and have a discussion, and we'll know what is the basic, what we need to do right away. And what we need to do in a long-term change to make sure that that sheriff's office is accountable to every citizen in this city. Information about how to save your home need to go out to everybody. Yeah. Instead of we constantly spending $7 million on selling people homes, we need to spend some money on letting people know how to keep their home. Yeah. Yeah. Because we see the city changing rapidly. And so in the interim, you're going to be celebrating. And I got to bring in <laughs> Teresa Lundy in here. <laughs> Hello. There's big plans. There is. And we're excited because, you know, this is history obviously taking place with the first woman and African-American woman. And so it is themed. She is ready to lead. 
ready to serve and ready for change. And this is happening on Friday, January 3rd from 7 o'clock p.m. to 11 o'clock p.m. at the Double Tree Hotel, Philadelphia. That's 237 South Broad Street, Philadelphia, PA 19107. Um, and we're actually, uh, tickets are only $100. So you can go to RochelleBalau.com. That's R-O-C-H-E-L-L-E, Bilal, B-I-L-A-L.com. So check it out. They, and you will, we're going will to be, be there. You got your oh, yes. outfit? Oh, Sheriff? yes. <laughs> that just, no, this is formal. Yes. This is have a good time. It's entertainment. We, it's probably going to be my last official party out there. Yeah. So y'all need to come on and do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, cause I know it takes a village cause it, you've been grinding for a long time. And so this is sort of like the culmination of all that effort and to sort of, I guess, you know, say what? I, I've had a lot of good people around me. I've had my campaign manager is a millennial. And you know how they talk about y'all millennials, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying we need to bring them along with us because we may have some information that they need to learn. Mm-hmm. And they have information that we need to learn. So we need to bring the millenniums right along with us as we trailblaze a lot of these doors that had not been open to us in the past. That's one of the things. And I'm just saying uh, we we raising up the city to do something different. Mm-hmm. Every elected official, they can't say this is my lane. No. If you are elected in the city, you need to do more. You yeah. need to do more. Yeah. And so she will be doing more and kicking off this celebration on January 3rd at the Doubletree, RochelleBalau.com. Check it out. Then you'll be sworn in and then the work begins. Then the work begins. Well, I want to wish you luck. Uh, Sheriff-elect Rochelle Bilal, thank you so much for coming in and being on Flashpoint. And congratulations again on your historic win. And thank you so much for having me. Next up, how do you reduce your carbon footprint during the holidays? It's reduce, reuse, and then recycle. Recycling should be the lowest priority. Tips on giving while keeping waste down. But first, traffic and weather in a couple minutes. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint KYW. And we here at KYW, we are all about community. And with the holiday season approaching, recycling and sustainability, well, that may not be the first thing that comes to mind. But one local organization aims to make it more accessible to the public here to give us tips and advice for a green holiday season is co-founder of Green Philly, Julie Hensher. Julie, welcome to Flashpoint. Thanks for having me on, Sherry. Yeah, so millions of gifts will be given over the next few weeks. So there will be lots of paper, plastics, and waste. Help! Uh, how can we be more environmentally conscious as we go into the holidays? That is a great question. And I would say before you even think about what you're going to do with the paper and plastic is thinking of what you're giving to your loved ones for the holiday season. So one great opportunity is to shop locally. So that also reduces the amount of packaging you'll have. You'll reduce your carbon footprint of the gifts because it won't be traveling as far. You'll be supporting the local community. And usually whenever you spend dollars locally, Twice as many will stay in the local community versus if you shop at a big box retailer or Amazon. 
Wow. So just by buying at your local boutique or a local toy store, you say you, you help the environment. Yeah. And there's also a lot of great holiday markets right now. So I know there's Miss Holiday Park at Dilworth and there's also a lot of pop-ups and all these different neighborhoods. So we actually have a calendar on Green Philly where we list all of those different holiday markets. But you can shop small. Another really great gift idea is giving food or experiences. Instead of buying something that, you know, someone may use or may not use, you can give them something that's consumable immediately, aka food, wine, booze, whatever. Or you can always give them an experience, a massage or go a night out to the movies or something else. It's a fun experience. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people have kids. They've already asked for all those gifts and there's going to be waste. Is there a way to be mindful and careful and more sustainable when dealing with all of this? That's going to happen pretty soon. Definitely. So there are some things to consider. So one, wrapping gifts in, you know, maybe reusing paper or I actually save gift bags and I get them and reuse those and give them to other people. If you think of the hierarchy of recycling and sustainability, It's reduce, reuse, and then recycle. Recycling should be the lowest priority. So if you have brown paper bags and you can be creative, you can tie flowers or other things to them to decorate them. It doesn't have to be a boring gift or presentation necessarily. And then whatever you do have after you do give the gifts, you can recycle a lot of paper products. Just make sure there's not the foil or tiny plastic pieces. You can recycle the plastic and a lot of the other materials for the holiday season. So if you do buy paper, let's say you don't have brown paper bags, are there considerations you should take into account when you buy uh, the type of you know wrapping paper that you purchase? Sure. If there is recycled wrapping paper, that's always a great option. If not, if there's anything that's shiny or has you know sparkles or other materials, it's often plastic. It makes the paper not as recyclable. So, you know, staying away from the foil or actually the fun sparkly ones, but there's a lot of other beautiful options that are just plain paper and those are all recyclable in the bin. Yeah. And so when people are unwrapping gifts, because I've been on the in the middle of all of this stuff and there's like boxes and people just kind of stuff them in these big bags and throw them out. Should they do that? No. So if you're in the Philadelphia city limits, there are a ton of things that you can recycle. We have a free recycling guide we're happy to share. And basically most paper products, plastics, if there are cardboard boxes, you can break them down and basically make them flat for the curbside recycling. And it's really as simple as just putting things that's in a pile or bringing a recycling bin into your home rather than just having everything go to the trash can. Having the recycling bin there helps you remember, hey, this can go in recycling as well. I mean, because I just see all those bags of trash right after the holiday just sitting on people's curbs and people who normally have one to two bags now have six to ten bags. And so we can think about how to reduce that in advance. I think it's a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing to always remember, too, is after the Christmas trees are done, they should not go on the curbside. There's also great composting programs, a lot of neighborhoods and community groups will accept them. And also the city of Philadelphia has specific pickup areas. They haven't announced our 2020 tree recycling program, but that also gets made into compost, wood chips, and goes back into your local parks. So think about that before you're taking down the Christmas tree is what you can do with that in its next life. And so why is it important to think about these types of things? I mean, people are worried about so many other things during the holidays. Why is sustainability so important to keep top of mind? I think sustainability ultimately isn't necessarily about just the planet, but it's also about our well-beings, our health, and our communities. 
So by reducing the amount of trash we're giving to the landfill or creating all this waste to begin with, we also can reduce our carbon footprint. The IPCC, the UN Climate Summit, is currently happening in Madrid right now. And there's a lot of scary things in the world, but you know you can do your part so easily just by shopping locally, reducing our waste, recycling what you can, and really it's just better for ourselves, our families, and our communities. And you blog about all this cool stuff. Tell people about your blog. Sure. So Green Philly is a community resource that can help people live sustainably through our website, our events, and podcast City Rising. So that's on thegreencities.com, and that's where you can download our free recycling guide and find more information. Wonderful. And so last word of advice before we wrap up. You know, ultimately, being creative with how you're giving gifts this holiday season. Yeah, and maybe even have a project and make something. Those yeah. used to be really nice. Mm-hmm. Brings people together. You get to do something together, and there's a memory. Definitely. So I want to say thank you so much to Julie Hencher, uh, co-founder of Green Philly, for coming in and talking about this issue in the news. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know. I will walk you through the flames. As author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie once said, the problem with gender is that it prescribes how we should be rather than recognizing how we are. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.